When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. When it comes to pubs, I have two pet theories. The first is that every commercial premises in Dublin was, at one point or another, a pub, tavern, coach house, or shebeen, if you went back far enough. The other is that any Irish family who can trace their roots back a few generations will have a relative who owned or ran a pub. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of the pub linked to my family, Morins of Mornington, County Meath. Welcome to Publin, a podcast about the culture, history and heritage of pubs at home and abroad. So what about this theory of mine, that every Irish person who can trace their family back a few generations has a story or has heard of a relative who has owned or operated a pub? Could that be true? How far out of the immediate family tree do you have to look? Let's say first cousins outwardly and, well, as many generations back as you like. In a friend's WhatsApp group, I posed the question, and a decent amount of people got back to me with stories of uncles, parents and grandparents, with pubs in Mayo, London and Dublin. The others, well, I think they just haven't looked hard enough yet. Do you think there's a publican in your family? In your extended family? Or even way back to when you'd be more likely to call them ancestors than family? I can tell you for certain that there was a pub in my family, and up until very recently I knew very little about it. I had one memory of the pub from when I was a child, and it was vague. I could see the building in my mind's eye, but I couldn't tell you about the people there. What I do remember is being brought in behind the bar, probably as a five or six-year-old in 1990 or 91, and being told to pick whatever I wanted to bring home with me. I mean, sweets, of course. That's pretty much the dream right there for a child, being behind the counter and offered sweets, free sweets. In my memory, the one I chose was a Curly Whirly, a bar now only familiar to those who still get a selection box at Christmas time. Let's hope for my sake that that tradition 
never ends. A few weeks ago I had the opportunity to learn about this family pub. Given that for over 10 years I've written and talked extensively about pubs, it's a huge personal oversight that I never bothered to dig into one that was owned and operated by my own relatives. The pub has passed out of their hands many years ago, but still, the story of this pub was the story of my family, on my mother's side, and the story of where my grandmother grew up. The pub is called Morin's, and it has existed now, and for the last 200 years, in Mornington, County Meath. Mornington exists where the mighty Boyne River, life-giver to Ireland's ancient east, meets the Irish Sea. Parts of the village overlook where the river spills into the sea and the tide returns upstream, filling and emptying the wide neck of land. Further upstream, there are still vestiges of the maritime history of the area, with large ships moored beside an industrial setting, just down from the town of Drogheda, where my grandfather on my mother's side grew up, and my grandparents on my father's side came to live in their later years. Mornington was a rural area on the cusp of the urban, which meant that Dublin and other more bustling areas were accessible to it via Drogheda and the train line that connected the town as an industrial hub. The pub as it is now retains much the same facade as it always had. The main building is a farmhouse and was once the residence. Now it bears a modern version of the Guinness Harp, the old home providing a decorative canvas for the advertisement. To the right of the house, but still attached, is the main bar, which bears a beautiful, and to my eye, original-looking sign that still bears the name Morans, though the pub now is owned and operated by Brendan and Michelle Battersby. The pair have gone about renovating and expanding the bar piece by piece, and are doing a fabulous job of it. Where there once was a barn or stable, is now a fabulous converted semi-outdoor area with raised tables and old Guinness memorabilia. You can imagine having a private party surrounded by old brick in this beautifully rustic setting. Where there was once a backyard overgrown with weeds, straw and dilapidated farm equipment, there's now a covered smoking area and car park, making it easily accessible to those that don't mind a bit of a commute for their fun. Before we step inside the pub, let me give you an insight into why I'm talking about this pub at all. I think we all find the concept of the pub as a unifying place where society meets as a very appealing notion. What I've never fully considered before was the concept of the pub as a place where family was bound together. And this can only really be the case for a family-owned pub. Now this pub is no longer in my family's hands, but I got to learn about its history recently and I got to know my immediate family a bit better. I don't know about your extended family of aunts and uncles and cousins, first, second, once removed or wholly, but we haven't always been the best with staying in touch or meeting up. When our grandparents were alive, there was a house to coalesce around. Then you get older and time slips away from you and opportunities don't present themselves as readily. But this year, one of our aunts suggested a reunion. Brilliant. Why not? And where better for a venue for this reunion than the old family homestead in Mornington, or we could have a drink in the pub that was once run by those we called family. So this was an opportunity to become closer to the family that are around us now, and to share stories about those who are no longer here to tell them themselves. In all previous episodes of this podcast, I've been looking at pubs through an objective lens, but in this case the story is about getting an insight, a brief insight, into how a pub can bring families together through generations of ownership and one more time, as a setting for a reunion.
If you are a member of my family listening to this, don't worry, I won't be divulging any family secrets. My grandmother Margaret, or Greta as she was known to us, grew up in this house and on this farm, along with her eight siblings. Her parents, Frances Moran and Margaret Carroll, had run the farm and pub before her siblings had taken it over in later life. The woman most associated with the pub in its later years was Agnes, who we referred to as Auntie Agnes, although she was in reality my great-aunt. My childhood memory was that it was Agnes who brought me to choose the sweets from behind the counter, but I was told at our reunion that it was, in all likelihood, Auntie Frances who brought me in when Auntie Agnes wasn't looking. Frances was the fun aunt who lived in Merrion Square and came home at weekends, and Agnes was the pragmatic operator of the pub who didn't suffer nonsense from her clientele. Or so the story goes. The original bar of the pub looks much today, as I'm sure it did when Agnes last tended bar there in the late 90s, and probably much the same for the decades before that. Beautiful weathered wood countertops, wooden walls and ceilings, high shelves for tactical pint resting, and benches built into the wall wherever there was a spare inch to comfort the weary or intoxicated. It's a narrow enough room, with double doors a third of the way down, an entrance to the traditional snug which had its own entrance at the front of the house, Upon first sight of it as an adult, there is no doubt about it, this is the ideal sort of traditional pub. Small, untouched, unblemished. The room is so picture-perfect that Tullamore Jew Whiskey filmed an advert here in 2017. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling From glen to glen and down the mountainside The summer's gone and all the roses falling tis you tis you must go when i must buy but come ye back when summer's in the meadow or when the valley's hushed and white with snow tis i'll be here in sunshine or in shadow oh danny boy oh danny boy I love you so. Next door to the original bar is what's called Agnes Moran's Bar. It's commonplace in Dublin to see figures of the past used almost as props in pub names to give them a degree of authenticity. It's a strange sensation to see someone who you're related to invoked in this way. That's not a complaint at all, merely an observation. I'm only too happy to have a pint in a bar named in absentia for a relative. The family members, my mother included, who have memories of the house as it was, said that this bar was once the living room for the house. The good living room, where you'd have to take off your boots or muddy clothes if you'd been doing a shift on the farm. There was a hatch between the living room and the bar, and no doubt, if you were well-placed in the snug, you'd be able to see what Morans were up to in the living area. This would have been a very common element of design for family-owned pubs in rural Ireland, and, in fact, I'm pretty sure that you can still see this in the Strawberry Hall pub in Dublin, on the north banks of the Liffey, near the back of Castlenock. The sign in the bar says, Morans since 1892. But that was likely when the pub gained its licence, officially. There's apparently ledgers going back to 1821, so it likely operated outside of the law from that point, or perhaps even further back. And after some digging in the archives, there was apparently an occasion or two when Margaret, my great-grandmother, 
fell afoul of the law for serving a few people after hours. According to the Drogheda Independent report from July 11th, 1931, Margaret Moran was prosecuted for an alleged breach of the licensing laws for serving after hours at the, I'm sure you'll agree, wholly ungodly hour of 10pm on a Sunday. There were three men in the back parlour having a drink. When first questioned, they said they did indeed have a drink, but were only there for 10 minutes. Mrs. Moran said that she hadn't let them in, but they'd only been there for half an hour. After some further fibbing was elaborated upon in the article on the court proceedings, the following line appeared. The men were not sober. A telling statement. Mrs. Moran insisted that these men were offered a drink as private invitees to the house and not to the bar, which was locked up at the time. She said that she used that room to serve bona fide travellers, referring to an old Irish law where if someone was a certain distance from their home, that a publican had to give them shelter, food and drink if they asked for it. You'd expect more from an ancient Brehan law than the 20th century statute books. The affair ended with a one-pound fine for the publican and a fine of two and sixpence for each of the men. A subsequent article mentioned an appeal by the publican even though there was no challenge made to the licence. Margaret's husband Francis had also been the subject of a court case in 1924 due to serving after hours. One story circulating on the day of the reunion was that in subsequent years advance notice had been given when a raid was scheduled to take place, and thank God for the mole on the inside. If it is the case that I'm related to people who held lock-ins on their premises, then to say I'm immensely proud would be an understatement. There were a few memories or rumours floating around the day of our reunion that were laid to rest. The first being a memory my mother had of being told that her grandfather, my great-grandfather, died due to hypothermia after being on the run from the blackened towns in the War of Independence. I'm sure every family has a rumour or perhaps wishful thinking that their ancestors had some involvement in great events. But this rumour was confirmed by the newspaper clipping about the lock-in in 1931. In it, the court heard how Margaret referenced her deceased husband. The publican, Miss Moran, swore that her husband was dead. He was badly treated by the blackened towns and had died after lying under a bridge in a stream all night. That stream was apparently a gully, mere feet from the house, across the road and visible from the first floor window of the old farmhouse that we had been allowed access to. The pub had passed to Margaret after Francis's death, with the licence having been transferred over in 1928, according to court and newspaper records that I was able to find. The second was that my uncle had heard of a tunnel running from either the house or that very gully all the way to the seafront beyond the graveyard and the lower road. Apparently a groundskeeper for the cemetery had found signs of that tunnel under a path leading, as the rumours said, from the seafront all the way up to the house. Now, where the access was into the house, if it existed at all, will be for the new owners to find out. If there's a cold room, then I'd be knocking on those walls for a hollow sound. Now that I think of it, there was a third rumour confirmed that day, but it was the current publican asking us. He asked, was it true that someone found ten grand stuffed up a chimney? Yes, but it was eighteen grand, and that was in punts. When my uncle was taking care of the estate after all of my grandmother's siblings had passed or were near to passing, it was his responsibility to clear the house and do the books. 
who found money stashed away under here, there and everywhere, including a large sum of money stuffed up into the chimney. I'm sure everyone was glad that a fire hadn't been lit in that room for some time. So what was this pub like to drink in, and what was its reputation? Well, an article from the Sunday World from the 1980s references the pub spy column from that publication, implying that the review was extremely favourable, and that it was a well-run and pleasant pub. I suppose any pub that existed for 200 years had to be doing something right, especially given that it wasn't located on a main street of a town. There was, however, a review from that same column, from that same publication, from 2004, thankfully when the family involvement had ceased, that described the pub in a review of local pubs that didn't have a kind word to say about any of them. The author must have been a dub. He wrote, If they could remove the tar from the walls, ceiling and counterfront of this premises, they would repair every pothole in County Louth. Morins of Mornington looks like it hasn't been painted since it was first opened, and we reckon that was about 150 years ago at least. Character it may have, original it may be, but there comes a time when one has to cry halt. There is very little could be done with this pub other than knock it. The toilets are old with whitewashed walls and found them very smelly. There's a beer garden in the Tarmacallan yard, and if the weather was good, one would be far better sitting out there than in the pub. I'm guessing that this was at a time either when the pub wasn't being taken care of or when the journalist was going through a bad divorce. There was a photo of my grandparents on their wedding day that I've seen multiple times over the years and it was only on this reunion day that I realised that it was taken directly outside the door of the farmhouse. Of the church that they were married in, there it was, less than 50 metres away, a former hub for the community, now in a bit of a state of disrepair, though still displaying signs of its former glory in its exterior. There's no way of knowing, but I'm going to invent a story in my head that my grandparents would have had a pint in this pub on their wedding day, and that, to me, makes it a more special place and connects me even more directly to this string of buildings that they called home. It's at times like these where you ask yourself, why hadn't I expressed an interest at these elements of family history before? But no matter, I know it now. During our reunion day, we had planned to make our way to the local cemetery to pay our respects at the graves of Francis, Margaret, aunties Francis, Agnes, John and their siblings. We thought it would be a bit of a trek in the cars, but no, there beside the church, 50 metres away from the farm and the pub, where they had spent their lives, was their final resting place. It's a jagged cemetery with weathered headstones and plots full of families going back hundreds of years. It's called the Star of the Sea. It overlooks the Boyne Estuary, Drogheda in the distance, and the Mountains of Morn on a clear day. It's a beautiful setting, even on a cold autumn day. Would we all have gathered there that day as a family if the pub wasn't still in operation and waiting to host the Moran family once more, even though none of us still bore the name? We likely would have gone to Rahini, where our granny lived and gone up to the Royal Marine Hotel in Sutton and had a grand time, but it wouldn't have provided us with such a direct and emotive link to our heritage. Most people don't get the chance to have a reunion in the town where their ancestors are from, and fewer still get to have a pint in the pub that they once owned. So for that reason, I'm very grateful. 
that's the story of the pub connected to my family. But there's millions of people out there with stories about thousands of pubs the length and breadth of Ireland. That's the direct connection people in Ireland can feel to pubs, and why the preservation of the family pub, or at least its traditions, is such an important aspect of the culture, both for us and for visitors. The pub, as it stands, is a fine place to visit, and the owners have designs on making it the Johnny Foxes of the area, a destination pub for drinks, music and food. The restaurant will come eventually, and it will be in the rooms where my grandmother and her siblings grew up, lived, worked, slept. I'm delighted that the pub will go on, embracing modernity while cherishing the past, and will afford me a place to visit every so often to reel in the years. So I'll leave you on this note. Do you know of a pub in the family, going back years and years to a different county or maybe even a different country? Have you been there? Do you know anything about it? And what can it teach you about you or your family? You might be surprised. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Publin Podcast. I'm sorry I've been away for so long, but life gets in the way. I'm delighted that so many thousands of people found the podcast while I was having a bit of downtime, so maybe the break didn't seem so long to all of you. Anyway, I'm back to make more episodes. The ideas are coming thick and fast, and I'm looking forward to getting back into it and cracking along. And I'm serious about hearing from you if you have any stories about pubs or publicans in your family, so do get in touch if you have a story to tell. My name is John, and you can contact me via publinie at gmail.com. You should definitely pay a visit to Morons of Mornington if you're in the area. It's much better than the Pub Spy review from 2004 would suggest, so please send me an email and a photo if you do. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next week. And as always, Slauncha. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.